Welcome to Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering at One News. We're coming to you from the legendary Beehive studio at Parliament. I'm Benedict Collins. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. Hey, and we've had a huge week, story-wise. Eh? Yeah. Um, anyway, any highlights this week? First yeah, of all, yeah, I actually um, I'm going to have two highlights rather than any lowlights this week. Um, I had a couple of really fun interviews. Um, Shane Jones went and did a one-on-one with him, and I always enjoy um, the anticipation of what one-liner will come out of his mouth next. Um, he just always gives you some bit of gold, and um, I quite enjoy interviewing him for that for that purpose. Um, the other highlight this week was it was quite good seeing Sir Michael Cullen back around the traps. Um, He announced the changes to the capital gains tax. Um, So it was quite good seeing him too and he was just really relaxed and um, you know, making jokes and going off on tangents and yeah, you kind of miss characters like that around Parliament sometimes. So two highs. Positive. Yeah. Hey, and another thing that sort of stood out for me this week, we had a, um, another development in a story that One News has been following for a while, and that's the government's finally working, um, beginning a consultation period to look at these, um, the wages or the salaries that uh, disabled workers get in New Zealand. Uh, I mean, some of them are earning 89 cents an hour for their work. The government said, hey, we're, we're getting called out by the United Nations over this. Um, it's discriminatory because y- you're paying them less because they're disabled. The government's going to come up with a, a system where they're going to top up um, the, the um, wages up to the minimum wage for these workers, give it to their employers at the moment so they get topped up. Um, but but also it's quite an interesting one because these workers at the moment are entitled uh, to, to, a lot, to, to benefits and to welfare assistance. So they're going to have to be really careful how they go about that. So that was, yeah, another sort of high yeah, for me as well. Yeah, one that you've yeah. been following for a while. So it's nice to kind of see those stories to conclusion. Yeah, and it was also kind of cool. We um, sent a, camera, a cameraman along to a, another one of the um, recycling centres which employed about 100 people. Yeah, and cool, cool footage of, you know, lots of people just loving coming to work, hanging out with their mates and, and you know, yeah, exactly. Loving to act. That's when you nod and smile and say yes. Yeah. Hey, anyway, should we have a look at our first story? Um, We did a poll. We had a poll this week. Let's have check out the first track. The Prime Minister celebrating all things 30s. But she's sitting gleefully in the 40s for both her party and as preferred Prime Minister. I'm pleased with that vote of confidence. That's despite the Kiwi Build saga, trouble securing a China visit, and this Waitangi hiccup. Oh, Article 1 on the spot. Kawangatanga, sorry, excuse me. It hasn't been a perfect start to the year, but her extended trip to Waitangi. Breakfast here, served by the Prime Minister. And a high profile European trip have paid off. I'd like to think that this is a positive reflection, both both of what we've already um, done as government in response to some of those really big challenges New Zealand is facing, but also our plans going forward. But it's not rainbows and sunshine for Simon Bridges. Ultimately, it's, it's in the 40s. We're a long way from the election. Labour and National have been neck and neck in our last eight polls since the last election, a point Mr Bridges was very keen to make. Look, the polls will jump around. I think it just moves around. Yep, it jumps around. What you see in polls is a jumping around. What's not moving around is his Prime Minister ratings. After peaking at 12 percentage points in May, he's only headed one way, down. And then there's Judith Collins. It's good that we've got a bunch of people in National that are well-liked. I feel very confident and comfortable in my leadership. But perhaps not as comfortable as he appears. He's trying to move on from the Jamie Lee Ross saga, but a year into the job, people don't like him. 
and he's now in the leadership danger zone. So I think the big things there, we saw a lot of those numbers shifting around, was that National has dropped and Simon Bridges has um, gone down again in the leadership numbers as well. So that's obviously not where he wants to be, not where he wants to sit. And that's when those questions start to be asked. Um, For him, he peaked in May last year on about 12 and since then has been going down. And at the beginning, when he first became leader, I remember saying in the poll, look, people either don't like him or don't know him. He's been in the year, been in the job a year now, and it feels like he's just not resonating with voters. And I don't, I don't know whether that Jamie Lee Ross factor, how much that plays into it at this point. But it's been a few months, so. Yeah, I, I think that'd still be. If I was national, I'd still be pretty happy sitting forty-two. Forty-two, yep, and that's you know, a really good a, point. A year and a half in opposition, where you can do nothing except you know criticise and complain. You can't do anything positive. Yeah, or that's or, a definition. Or you can do opposition. something positive, right? But yeah, yeah, exactly, right. It's not like you can roll out policies or yeah. uh, make grand announcements because you don't have access to any of that. I, I think that'd still be you know pretty happy with where they're sitting. And the point that some of the MPs were making going in was that um, historically we've had leaders like Helen Clark who didn't poll that well in opposition and then went on to be very effective. As preferred lead- Prime Minister. As yeah, preferred yeah, Prime yeah, Minister yeah. and then went on to be really effective leaders. And you'd, on that point of the 42, you've got to remember that it's not that long ago that Labour was sitting in the 20s and that's when we saw all those leader swaps mm, going mm. on when they were getting into those numbers. I guess just the thing is, is you'd be asking the question, if the party's so popular, why are more people not supporting Simon Bridges. And I know that um, the National Party say that, look, it doesn't matter, we're not a presidential-style campaign, but you're a bit worried on those numbers and rubbing salt into the wound, um, Judith Collins is on six as well. Again, not high, but just interesting to see um, who yeah. getting the same as the leader. You're so tough, though, I think, in preferred Prime Minister, when you are in opposition, you know, you look at... Well, you know what the prime minister has been up to. Uh, you know, uh, travelling internationally. You know, attending really important meetings, looking prime ministerial. You know, yep. it, easy to. I, I think you know gives you somewhat of an advantage. And you asked her that question as well, yes, saying, yes. you know, do you have a slight advantage actually having that title? And of course she yeah. does. But I think that you six mm. is just such a woeful number that you have to ask those questions. Why? Why mm. is is it? Is it that he's not resonating? Is he not getting out and about enough? I, I don't know. I think um, the the poll may have caused a few of those questions behind the scenes, so it'll be interesting to see. But yeah. another are good fun. Yeah, another thing that really stood out for me in the poll and um, was uh, New Zealand First mm. and Winston Peters coming down, um, you know, hitting three. And I know that they do, uh, they do drop all tend to drop away and sort of boost back up a bit in election year but yeah you wonder what they're what they're thinking and also the greens well they're, they're six mm. just you know sitting around that five percent threshold for two parties that currently don't have any uh you know mps holding um electorate seats you know you've got to wonder how they're going to try and um you know move those numbers north what what sort of strategies they're going to have or, or whether it will just happen naturally in election year yeah and we we spoke about that more on the story on the tuesday mm. um is is New Zealand First being drowned out by Labour? And that's what happens when you're in coalition. You have uh, less of a presence and a voice to speak out against things, and sometimes you can be a bit forgotten in the mix of things. Now, um, Winston Peters doesn't seem to be a shrinking violet, and um, you know he's he's in the media a lot. Um, but I just think they'll have to be mindful of having creating that separation in election year, especially, and and making sure they um, speak out on the issues that they find. Um, 
really connect with their supporters in election year. And I think you're right. I think naturally that sort of happens um, and that comes out. But it's not easy for those smaller parties when they're in government and then coming into the next election. So it will be it'll be really interesting to watch. Yeah, they can't be so ferocious on a on a wide range of issues, right? Because you've yeah. kind of got to leave it up to the ministers or, or right. And there was something always. Winston was really good at in opposition is you know sort of really drilling into what's going wrong in the country um, and getting you know a lot of attention and same with the Greens yeah to be fair, you know really 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 vocal on, on things that were going wrong but and I they, think yeah and you kind of got to pull that in a little bit don't you when you're in yeah government. and I do mm. think um, in some ways Mr Peters sits more naturally in opposition like I think he quite likes having that position you know obviously he's a with his um, foreign minister hat on but I do think he plays that role well um, when he was in opposition so um, Hmm. yeah well it'll be interesting to see I think you'd be more concerned if it was three in election year Um, but of course Mr Peters doesn't believe in our polls so Uh, of uh, course (laughs) yeah and speaking of um, three in election year we we took another look Um, we also conducted a poll on, on the referendum uh, that could look at um, where, this, where that threshold sits for getting back into Parliament. Let's have a look at this track. Election 2017, a bruising ordeal for many minor parties. Your support and your love. Without electorate seats, the 5% party threshold was the Everest many couldn't reach. Obviously as a Māori party we haven't really polled above 2% before and it would be in our benefit to have that lowered or even removed completely. We think it needs to be lowered because we need a greater diversity of ideas, bold ideas in Parliament. But it appears most New Zealanders don't agree. A One News Colmar Brunton poll asked if the current 5% threshold is too high. 12% say it is. 13% say it's too low. While 64% think it's about right. The rest don't know. 5% is 1 in 20 people. Uh, and that's that's quite a big challenge for a new party to set up and, and reach that number of people. Looking to form the latest minor party, Vernon Tava says the numbers are important. The only new parties that have managed to get our 5% plus have been ones that were started up by MPs who were already in Parliament and split out of another party. The Electoral Commission in 2012 suggested lowering the threshold to 4% but was largely ignored by MPs at the time. Now with national looking for political partners and New Zealand First consistently polling below 5%, it could be time for a fresh look. But I think there'd be a fair bit of cynicism about changes just before an election to save one or two parties in Parliament's bacon. It's about making sure we get that balance right between the threshold and also the, the, the life raft provisions if they've been called. Striking the right balance when it comes to the threshold and it seems the voters. So I think what's interesting out of that is that most people think that 5% is about right. Um, and I think for for a lot of people outside of this place, they probably don't spend a lot of time thinking, thinking about... Thinking about MMP <laughs> thresholds. Which yes. is shocking. I don't, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, now that the referendum um, is is coming out and whether it should be lowered, I think the suggested number is to four. Um, It raises the question on whether we should have more representation of smaller parties, whether 4% would help people get in, or whether it's designed for those parties now, perhaps like the Greens and New Zealand First, who may at some stage teeter on the edge and whether that um, that would advantage them um, in election time. 
Yeah, I think it is, for, for me, it has such a high threshold, 5%, uh, you know, to get into Parliament if you, if you don't win an electorate seat. I think you look, you know, the Conservative Party a few years ago, you look at top at the last election, you know, they do get a huge amount of, of public support, but just not, you know, not hitting that 5% threshold. It, yeah, I, I, for me, I think the lower it would be the better. And I agree somewhat, except for the fact that being in Parliament and being elected to Parliament is a, is a big deal. And if you can't, I, I think there has to be some threshold. Yeah. Um, I think four or five, mm, you can kind of do it. But I do think that you, you need to be able to convince a, a chunk of the population that you will yeah. represent them in Parliament. And I do think it's important to have a reasonably high threshold so that you don't have... Um, a whole lot of of people who are, who just got a few, um, hunt, you know, a few thousand people supporting them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think it's important that it that we recognise it's a big deal to be there. I don't know why you're laughing at me like that. <laughs> no, no, is just, it because no, I'm not no, stringing my no, words no, together properly? No, I was just thinking um, it is an interesting system where you can get a party which can, you know, hover. Uh, I think top was in the two somewhere, and conservatives yeah. up around four. Mm-hmm. You know, not getting any representation, and you, you get. Um, you know, like an MP like Peter Dunn or, or like David Seymour, who have you know really got a stranglehold on on a on a seat, even though their party, you know, might be sort of terminally ill. Yeah, um, they they still hold on to that onto that seat and have that representation in Parliament. It's an interesting kind of system. Yeah, and it that is, way, right? and it is unfair mm. in that way. Um, so you wonder if if there's some kind of system where you have to get a percentage to be able to get the election. You know what I mean? Like you could do it that way. We could just really complicate things and go back to Germany and completely overhaul the system for them as well. I think it would be good. Yeah. But it is. I think it's interesting to discuss this time mm. in the political cycle as well. This year we're going to see those minor parties popping up, the ones yep. – Perhaps a Conservative Party, perhaps this Teal Party. Um, we're going to Māori Party, obviously, in the mix of things as well. And I think this year we'll see those things firm up, so that there's either some friends for National or some options for Labour come next year. Because I think we can see from that poll result that National needs a mate. Doesn't matter um, how well, you know. Even on their best poll days, they're not going to. They're, they're not the going to be able to yeah. do it at, yeah. on their own. So. We'll have to see, but yeah, interesting. Mm. And you had a big story this week too. Yeah, so let's let's have a look at this one. This was a story about a um, uh, research, economic research um, conducted by the oil and gas industry. The government knew banning oil and gas exploration would cost billions. Now a new report funded by the oil industry has calculated the total cost. Uh, and it reveals some very, very large costs to New Zealand, and in particular to Taranaki. It's a disaster. The analysis predicts that losing our oil and gas industry will cost $28 billion over the next three decades. That's the equivalent of 20 Dunedin hospitals, buying 43,000 Kiwi-built homes in Auckland, or $15,000 per Kiwi household. But the government isn't buying it. This could be the case if the government buried its head in the sand and did nothing. But we're not just sitting back and magically hoping the future plays out in Taranaki. We're working on the ground uh, with that community. What it shows is the reckless decision made really on the hoof by the government has an eye-watering cost. The report found that Taranaki will bear the brunt of the ban with an enormous drop in exports and living standards there too. And there was a mixed reaction from Taranaki locals to the new figures today. That is ridiculous. Well, it's not right if it's going to hurt the local people. It's a massive cost, which, you know, disturbs me. But what's the cost of the alternative? 
A local mayor says the government must keep its promise to the region. I've made a commitment that they are going to help Taranaki's economy. You know, the test of that will be what comes out at the next budget. The report also coming in for some criticism. This report is full of alternative facts. What it's saying is that we have a choice about whether or not we act on climate change. We don't. The oil industry hopes the government will think again. Take the time to assess this new information that wasn't available to it at the time it made its decision and reconsider it. Regrettably, pigs might fly. No, that's not something we're considering. The report released today as protesters came to Parliament demanding faster action on climate change. The government consists of um, New Zealand First who seem to be dragging the chain a little. The government copping flack from both sides. Yeah, look, so this was an interesting story. Obviously, the government's moved to, you know, ban in the future oil and gas exploration. Um, Pepin's, uh, the oil in the oil industry lobby group, they um, ha had this research conducted by um, NZIER, $28 billion. Um, they, they calculated that this is going to cost the economy. Now, this research, though, was pretty controversial. Um, you know, groups jumping all over it. Uh, I think we had, you know, Greenpeace in the, in, the, in the story there. The government was really quick to say, oh, no, well, we, we disagreed with um, the analysis that came out of MB in the first place, and they've they've just compounded this. Um, and you've got a report here that doesn't sort of look at the um, that looks looks at the consequences of banning oil and gas financially, but then doesn't sort of take into account uh, the you know the economic impacts of climate change on New Zealand. Uh, so it was yeah pretty interesting watching the uh, the furious uh, responses and the defence you know, f following us um, breaking that story uh, this week. So with that 28 million, uh, did they use calculations billion. from... Sorry, 28 billion. Did they use the calculations from MB and then um, go 2 plus 2 equals 20? Well, no, I think... I think um, NZIER, um, you know, credible research organisation, but, but I think the government always had a problem with MB's original analysis. Mm. Um, and uh, when Megan Woods, the minister, spoke to us, she said, hey, look, um, you know this. You know they've simply they've simply run with these numbers, um, and also I think the government was pretty keen to dispute uh, parts of the re parts of the report which referred to um, this not actually doing anything for climate change globally as well. Um, yeah, so it's been interesting sort of watching it flow out over the week. But I think what Pepans was really hoping was that the government would see this and the, and the public would see well you know billions and billions of dollars you know being stripped from the country and from the economy. Um, and take another look, and Megan Woods to us was like, "No, we're not. We're not going there. We're not doing this." Yeah. So um, holding their line, I guess. It's, mm. And it's interesting because it was it was such a huge issue last year, and it's been peppered through this year. But it's kind of the first time that it's come up. We've had a look at it again this year. Do you think it's something that will dominate over the next eighteen months? Do you think it will be something that will be really big in the election for next year? I mean, obviously, in places that are affected it will be for them but do you think it's something we'll keep covering a lot of well, i think we will because i think national has has indicated that they'd reverse the ban mm. um and i think you've got to wonder you know will, will new zealand first what will this be something maybe they'd look at the election i'm not sure of course you had shane jones at the announcement even saying hey we have to confront climate change um you can't just stick your head in the sand over this so yeah i'm not sure but national mm. has definitely said you know that they would look at reversing this. Well, mm. I think one topic that will definitely um, be dominating the um, election campaign next year is the, this idea of capital gains tax. So let's have a look at that. 
Kylie Galvin has built up this carpety hairdressing business. The tax working group recommends she should be paying a comprehensive capital gains tax if she sells it. It would just ruin the motivation um, in young New Zealanders to actually get out there and, and become business owners. There's just no incentive anymore. The sale of land and farms is in the mix too. But farmers are labelling it a dog of an idea. I'm just thinking of various scenarios for my own situation. You know, I've still got to buy part of the farm off my parents in a few years' time. Is that going to generate a tax burden for them? Anyone with a batch would be affected too, as well as shares and investment properties. On property investors, it's just going to be a disincentive to them actually buying and providing homes for tenants at a time when we really need more of them. What's off the list and exempt is the family home and things like cars, boats and art. And untaxed capital gains mostly benefit wealthiest households. In its promotional video, the tax working group says we need to rebalance the tax system. Why would they do this? It's mostly about fairness. Making all of these changes would bring in $8 billion in five years in tax revenue. That gives the government options. The working group says people should get some of that back in tax cuts. At the moment, the first 14,000 of income is taxed at 10.5%. The working group recommends boosting that to at least 20,000 to allow people to keep more of their income. If everything's done, um, then it's up to around $15, $16 a week, which is not huge, but if you're on a low income, it's significant. In our latest One News Colmar Brunton poll, people seem more open to the idea if they get something back. We asked, would you support or oppose the capital gains tax if there is a cut in personal income tax? 46% support the idea and 41% oppose the idea. So pretty even. The rest don't know. Well, I think it's really important to look at it as a package. National hates the idea of this capital gains tax. This is clearly an attack on the Kiwi way of life as Kiwi small businesses, batches and farms come under fire. We don't all have batches. We never did all have batches. The government now has to decide what's palatable and convince New Zealand first, particularly on issues like farms. We're going to ensure that they get their voice heard and listened to as well. They have till April to get on the same page. So I think it's important to look at the timeline in this. So we get a decision on what the government's decided, April. Then it has to go through the whole parliamentary mm. process and all the debate that goes with that, and no changes would come in until 2021. So I think that's it's really important to say that this is suggestions from the tax working group, and the government hasn't said, we'll do this, um, we'll do that, we won't do this. So I think it's important um, to do that. I think it's also worth pointing out as well um, to allay some fears is that the capital gains won't start accumulating on a... Let's say you've got an investment property. Yeah. It won't start accumulating until 2021. So any um, gains that you've made before that are safe, protected, locked away, and it will just be if you sell it after that 2021 that um, that, that starts to tick in and clock up. So I think those those are key points to get across in all of this as well. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing is looking at how and who a capital gains tax um, would affect. So I think yesterday they were saying, hey, you know, it's the top 20% uh, wealthiest people in New Zealand who own 80% of the assets. If you break it down even further, the top 10% own 70%, right? So it's the people at the very highest end of society who are going to end up paying 
the you know capital gains, um, the, the wealthiest New Zealanders. Whereas everyone else, especially the people at the bottom, are going to benefit, right, with with tax cuts if, if the government goes through with, you know, depending on how much of it goes through. I thought that was a really interesting breakdown, seeing, you know, it is actually those at the very, very top who are going to be affected by this. And another interesting thing that I kind of think is, you know, the talk of it being a big, scary tax monster, hairy-chested, which I quite liked. So great, fabulous saying, saying, saying that um, earlier this week. Um Another thing that was quite interesting about that, that, you know, they're saying it's going to affect a lot of people. In Australia, I think, about every year, it's about 4% of people whose taxes actually include um, some, some capital gains tax. So, right. so every year it doesn't actually hit very many people at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think um, when you're looking at all of it, though, the and, and when I asked Sir Michael Cullen about this yesterday, I said, you know, look, you talk about fairness and rebalancing, but is it fair for those mum and dad investors? And he kind of took a bit of umbrage at that, I guess. He just, mm. he he was like, well, you know, first of all, it might not be mum and mum, mum and dad, it might be mum and mum or, you know. But he also just didn't like it, which schooled me in that. Very good point, um, Dr Cullen. But I also just think that um, the whole concept of it doesn't sit that well with him that it's the this idea that it's the um those hard-working um families that have tried to get that investment property or get that batch and his point was well look none of us um all have batches we've never all had batches um he kind of took issue with this concept that um you know everyone has a batch and everyone has an investment property and and all of that kind of thing so it was it was interesting um we obviously talked to him for you know 45 minutes um Q&A session in his presentation yesterday so it was interesting um seeing his take on it um I also think it was interesting that when he was he was obviously finance minister and Labour spokesperson for a long time as well and he never liked the idea of a capital gains tax and and he was questioned about that and he said well look I do think that things have changed and he said but also politically it was never an easy sell so publicly he he said publicly I never talked about it um, because it was it was tough so it's interesting now that he's kind of delivered for the next Labour government um, I, this this big thing to deal with. Yeah I wonder too if um, political leaders sometimes get a lot braver once they're out yeah, of office. Yeah, um, yeah. This could be one example Helen Clark um, on drugs would be another yeah. I think you know she's now sort of internationally prominent, uh, yeah. calling for drug reform, which um, she you know, wasn't particularly vocal about as Prime Minister. But look, one thing that I found really bizarre about this capital gains announcement this week is that Simon Bridges um, wasn't at Parliament on Thursday to respond, um, you know, and to hold the government to account in question time. It, now, I think it's been this way for a while, but the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition don't often don't turn up to Parliament on Thursday. So it's three days a week, but they always missed the final one but to me I think he missed a, a golden opportunity here to really have a have a crack at, at at the government and go at them in question time I understand he's in Tauranga um, had a speech that he was giving up there but to me yeah just and a I think real, di- real opportunity just for there. a little bit of context we were offered an interview yeah, with him in Tauranga and that's couldn't right. hmm. um, but I, d- I take your point that um, it would have it's a big strong issue um, that he would have um, been keen to talk on I'm sure um, and, and was Amy, really strong on it earlier in the week yeah, as well right yeah, yeah. Oh, he had some really good lines earlier hmm. in the week but it was good to see um, Amy Adams we had her in um, both of our lead tracks yesterday and she was really strong and really quick on that too so um, yeah perhaps as you say a bit of a missed opportunity 
for him. But I'm sure the um the speech that he did, mm. I'm sure the people there appreciated having him. Even. Maybe he talked about tech, um, Maybe. capital gains tax. We Who will knows? never know. No. We will never know. Indeed. Yeah. Cool. All right. We we all good. Yeah. Excellent. Let's sign off. It's been a it's been a big week. It has. Excellent. <laughs> hey, it's been great having with. Uh, you with us guys. Uh, this was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about our big stories of the week that we've been covering on One News. Now we're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can check us out Friday evening on the One News Facebook page and check us out on your favourite podcasting app as well. See you guys. See you next week.